engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. It's 7 after the hour. I'm Eric Erickson. This is WSB, the phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Uh, Thank you again to Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle for stopping by for an hour this evening uh, to take uh, my questions and questions from listeners. A very interesting dynamic shaping up. Um, in fact, I'm noticing several of the lieutenant governor's opponents in the primary um, are tweeting out things he said um, that they disagree with uh, that did not happen. Uh, that dynamic did not exist with the other candidates in the race doing it to each other. Uh, and that goes back to part of the conversation he and I had at the beginning of this uh, conversation an hour ago that he is the front runner uh, by virtue of being the lieutenant governor, having the most money uh, in the field. He raised $6.8 million, has cash on hand of $5.7 million. And they're, keep in mind, they're not allowed to raise money during the session. So all that money came in before the session started on January 8th. Um, he, he's the front runner in the race. I did go back. Interesting side note here. I went back and looked with Mark Taylor in the Democratic primary against Kathy Cox. And I went back and looked at the Democratic primary with um, with Zell Miller uh, back when he was running. And there is a recurrent theme of the opponents in the primary, regardless of the party, claiming that the, um, the lieutenant governor has no accomplishments of his own. That it is all... Uh, the accomplishments of the governor, and he's just trying to take credit for it. And, and Casey Kegel, I thought, made a good case for himself uh, that he does have his own accomplishments, particularly in the field of education, uh, having put out a book on his education blueprint and whatnot. Um, there was some news to be had, I think, from his interview in that he did go on record tonight saying two things. One, he is willing to advance the um, adoption agency um, faith-based protections legislation that's been in the Rules Committee in the Senate. He also, more importantly, I think, for for current conversations, uh, said he agrees with the governor's decision to not, at this time, deal with the windfall that may be coming from federal revenue. Now, for those of you who don't know what this windfall is, the federal tax reform eliminated a number of deductions, and Georgia law has allowed people essentially to take those deductions. If they took them on federal taxes, you can take them on state taxes. And now that they're gone, um, people are mostly going to be taking the standard deduction, uh, eliminating their opportunity then to take the state deduction or to take the state similar state deductions. And it looks like you could see a, a more than a billion dollars flow into the coffers of the state. And the question becomes, what do you do with that money? Do you give an immediate tax refund? Do you restructure? Uh, what do you do? The lieutenant governor is, says he, he doesn't, he, he, at this t- point, he's not in favor of rushing to do something. He wants to see what the revenue actually is that comes in. He actually wants to take their time and, and revisit this at a later date, wants to have a better idea of what's actually coming in instead of basing it on projections. The other thing um, that he said, he doesn't really think that the the political rhetoric sounds good of rolling over to a sales tax, um, but the actual reality is it would be a lot more difficult to do. He would rather streamline and reduce the rate on 
the income tax. Now, we're going to put up the interview with the lieutenant governor, as we have everyone else's, as a standalone uh, segment to our podcast. And if you would like to listen to it, a good interview with the lieutenant governor. Uh, he had a lot to say. Uh, the text the word WSB, I'm sorry, wrong text word, text the word show. I got so many of these things. Text the word show to 444-999. Text the word show to 444-999, and you'll be able to listen to the interview with Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle from earlier this evening. I want to move on to the Porter story. I have mostly avoided the Porter story. The Porter story is the White House aide, Rob Porter. I'm looking up at the TV right now. CNN is on in the WSB studio. Uh, The ex-wife of Rob Porter is on with Anderson Cooper talking about the abuse allegations. He is the staff secretary. Essentially, Rob Porter has been the president's gopher. Um, If the president needed something, Rob Porter's the guy who got it. Uh, He managed staff. He helped General Kelly. General Kelly really liked the guy, issued a statement calling him a man of integrity. General Kelly, uh, having said earlier, he thought that the, um, the story was overblown, the allegations were overblown. He has walked that back. Uh, it is Everyone is setting uh, General Kelly up to be the fall guy on this story. I want to tell you why I have no desire to spend a ton of time on the story. I don't want to discuss the story. I, instead, I want to explain to you why I don't want to spend a ton of time on the story. What's new? Uh, Yes, is it bad that Rob Porter abused two former wives? Yes, yes. Does it look really bad? He now apparently is in a relationship with Hope Hope Hicks? Yes. Is it bad that General Kelly defended him? Yes. All of these things are bad. He should not have been there. In fact, he should have known that these stories were going to come out, and in so doing, he should have not taken the job. But at the same time, the White House knew, apparently, at least some people of the White House knew the story was coming and did nothing. Yes, it's all bad. But what's new? I mean, essentially what we're doing is we're repeating the conversation from the Access Hollywood tape. We're repeating the conversation from the Roy Moore situation. We're repeating all of these other conversations now with Rob Porter. It is a replay of the same conversation. We don't have anything new. This was something else uh, that is messed up within the White House uh, that that people are are talking about. It is all, all the talking points are the same. The arguments are the same. The battle lines are the same. I got nothing new to add to the situation. Uh, nothing new to add to the story. Uh, he's a, a a guy who abused his wives. There are pictures of what he did. The the ex wife uh, come one of them at least coming forward. So the media is in another feeding frenzy. Next week, this will yet again be something that we have moved beyond to something some other outrage. We are in a perpetual state of outrage in this country. What is news? And what you should be outraged about is that Rand Paul seems to be making a a single man stand on the floor of the Senate against a budget that is going to blow all the spending caps, a budget that is going to blow past sequestration. That is disappointing to me. 
it seems like Republicans only care to be conservative when they're in the opposition, as opposed to being conservative when they have government, conservative when they lead. They don't want to balance the budget. You know, oddly enough, Mick Mulvaney, when he was in the House and, and they tried to force through sequestration, they tried to force through a, a balanced budget act that would require government to balance the budget. That act would go into effect today. Yes. Based on when they offered that act, February 8th of 2014, I believe it was, it would go into effect today, requiring a balanced budget. And yet they're not going to have a balanced budget. They have no interest in having a balanced budget. They have no interest in cutting spending. They have no interest in raising taxes. I, You know, it's, it's really damn disingenuous to me, I think, to listen to the Democrats say that uh, this is outrageous. Um, the Republicans are driving up the debt in the and the deficit when they were complicit with Barack Obama doing it for $10 trillion. And now they're saying, well, this is disingenuous of Rand Paul because he voted for a big tax cut. Well, it's disingenuous of the Democrats to be disingenuous of Rand Paul because they don't ever want to cut spending. They've never met a spending program they didn't want to increase. The Democrats can say all day long they want to raise taxes. The Democrats can say all day long that they need to raise taxes, that they need to tax the rich, that they need to raise taxes on corporations. But you know what that would do? Well, it would keep Apple from repatriating billions of dollars that would otherwise be taxed to come into the federal coffers. It would chase away rich people from the country. Rich people have the money to hire the accountants to restructure their income to make sure they don't get taxed. So then you tax the middle class. Well, the middle class starts to dry up. I mean, the Democrats want to bleed turnips to try to get more money. Nobody wants to cut. What are you going to cut? I mean, we got to cut something. And the problem is we are rapidly getting to an untenable situation and we need more money to invest in the military as China grows. By the way, there's a report tonight that Russia has developed an autonomous torpedo that can, under its own power, cross the Pacific and explode off the West Coast and release a radiation cloud to make the West Coast of the United States uninhabitable for generations. It is of dubious legality under a treaty. And we don't have the money in our defense budget because we're spending all the money on that crap plane, the F-35 or whatever it is. The garbage plane that no one really likes but was designed by a committee. It is the platypus of the American Air Force. We don't have the money for these things. And we need the money for the military. We don't need a lot of things, but we need a strong military as Russia and China and North Korea and Iran and even Pakistan these days start stretching their legs negatively towards us. But the Republicans and the Democrats alike are collaborating on raising the national debt and raising the deficit. They do not seem to be willing at all to make any sort of cut. And that's going to haunt our kids. It's going to haunt grandkids. It's going to cause inflationary concerns in the future. And by the way, it's China who keeps allowing us to go in debt to them. It puts China more and more in charge of our sovereignty, and it's irresponsible. Rand Paul is waging essentially a lone fight, a 
single man making a stand on the floor of the Senate this evening against an out-of-control budget and an out-of-control spending process that was designed and packaged by a group of people who claim to be for smaller government, more limited government, and against reckless spending. And yet that is exactly what they are doing to no avail. And it's going to be a real, real problem coming soon. The phone number, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. I bet you're familiar with P90X. My producer, Charlie, I used to ridicule him for using P90X. I've got a lot of friends who have used P90X. And truth be told, I actually eventually decided everybody's doing this. I need to get myself back in shape. So I bought it. And then you know what I realized? I didn't have a DVD player in the house, I, so I never actually used it, as you can probably tell. Um, and I always thought it was kind of crazy, as, as so many services are moving digital, the parent company, Beachbody.com, uh, it had a digital presence, but it wasn't quite easy to use. But now it is. They've got a new product I want to tell you about. My wife's been using for yoga for a while on our Apple TV. In fact, they have an Apple TV app. They have an Android app. They have a, an iPhone app. Um, really, really easy to get all of the Beachbody products, um, the P90X, Insanity, 21 Day Fix, the three-week yoga retreat, all of them streaming on your TV or your phone. Uh, you can do these things on your own time. You can pick your trainer. Easy to navigate. Again, my wife has been using the yoga one for a while. Uh, really likes it. Uh, and I actually even downloaded it to the Apple TV since i got to start going back to the gym regularly. I may give it a try with you. Who knows? We can have some tag team effort. Right now, though, I want you to go try this. You can get a free trial membership when you text ERIC to 303030 303030 30, 30. text eric e r i c k to 303030 30. you're going to get full access to the entire beach body on demand program for free all the workouts and nutrition information for free just text eric e r i c k to 303030 today It's 25 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. We're doing the late night. Thanks to Mark Aram for switching with me five to seven. Um, we have been able to set up a new time for the Clay Tippins interview. I have not had a chance to get a, a reservations page set up and all that uh, with all the details. So just stand by, if you will, uh, and I will get you all of that information when we have a chance to get it done. Um you know, I want to, a buddy of mine texted me, I'm just, I'll leave his name out of it, but let me just read you this text from a friend of mine. I'd like to think of myself as well insulated from the tinfoil hat and black helicopter crew. Whenever anybody starts that, you know there's a but. He didn't go with but to his credit, he said, that said, me, and then in parentheses, and some rational friends of mine are really starting to think there's fire behind all the smoke. That Nunez memo didn't say that much, but combine it with Grassley and something's rotten. Yes. Yes, I actually, I, I've been working on a piece for the resurgent on this. Um, listen, I don't buy all of the, the, the kabuki theater of the Republicans. And, and I'll tell you who else doesn't, Trey Gowdy. But there's, y'all, there's got to be a there there to a degree. 
And y'all know my position on on the president and everything else, but I, I I have never believed for one second that the president colluded with the Russians. Still don't believe it. I have never believed that his campaign worked with a foreign power to take down Hillary Clinton. Because say what you will about Donald Trump, um, the, the man wants to return to the 1950s America. That's when we were fighting the Cold War. Uh, he's not a big fan of commies. And I gotta, I just think is, there are too many connected dots between Hillary Clinton, Fusion GPS, liberal reporters, and Christopher Steele, this F, guy who was working with the FBI. I've got to believe that they really, they didn't think that they had a there there with Donald Trump, but they were really hoping to get an investigation started on him and get a media story going. So they went to the FBI, Christopher Steele did, and then he leaked it to the media, which he says, told the FBI he didn't do. And now we are where we are. It's 36 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. To the phones we go. 404-872-0750. 1-800-WSB-TALK. Michael in Woodstock. Welcome. Hey, Eric. Hey. I just want to make a comment. I, I'm standing with Rand on this one. Um, he's yep. pointing out it's a 700-page bill. Nobody's read it, and they're trying to pass it at midnight. And that's just inexcusable. Well, and it's not only inexcusable, but what we already know about it is it's going to bust through all the budget caps Republicans fought Barack Obama to get uh, just a couple of years ago. Yeah, I mean, I think I read on Drudge it was like a 13% growth in government. Right. Like, really, guys? I was like, we're trying to cut back. I mean, the president has uh, basically eliminated a lot of jobs that are unnecessary and looks like the economy's on the move and you guys are trying to spend it before it even comes in. Yeah, uh, it, it's really, really disappointing to me. Michael, thanks very much for the phone call. Thank you. Yeah, I just, y'all, it's so frustrating that why, why aren't Republicans conservative um, when they have the majority, that they, they wait for a Democrat to be in the White House? Um, we've got to do something about spending in Washington, D.C. 404-872-0750, wsb talk I may make some of you mad. I just might. Bellin Aldacosa. Aldacosi? I have no idea. She flew home from college to South Florida. She twice called Spirit Airlines to ensure she could bring along a special guest, Pebbles, her pet dwarf hamster. The airline told her she could. That is not in dispute. On the phone, the airline told her that she could bring the hamster. But when she arrived at the Baltimore airport, Spirit Airlines refused to allow the hamster on the flight. And now the girl claims that a Spirit Airlines employee told her she could flush the hamster down the drain, down a toilet, if she wanted to. Two things here. First, the airline denies that anyone told her she could flush the, the hamster down the toilet. Two, 
even if an employee told her she could flush a hamster down the drain. No person other than this girl flushed a hamster down the drain. Now she wants to sue Spirit Airlines. If she does, I hope they countersue for slander, for, for trying to ruin their reputation because, again, no one flushed a hamster down the toilet except for her. Even if they recommended she do it, no one did it except for her. And then there's another thing. She has a note from a doctor that this hamster was an emotional support animal. Look, I realize she's a millennial. And there is a joke to be had, I guess, that she's a millennial. I don't even want to pick all millennials tonight because it's not just millennials, but my God, it's an emotional support animal for a millennial and it's a two-inch hamster that weighs less than a cell phone. Y'all, I don't... The fact that people are trying to bring peacocks on planes as emotional support animals, goats, lambs, turkeys, snakes. If you, you need an emotional support animal to get on an airplane... Good Lord, what has become of this country? We got a bunch of soft namby-pambies. You need your little emotional support animal on an airplane. I mean, there's you know why they need the emotional support animal? Because you're not allowed to smoke on the airplane anymore, so they can't have a cigarette, so they got to have their pet boa constrictor on the plane. Uh, listen, I am sorry if you are in a position where you need an emotional support animal. But if you need an emotional support animal, it is not an animal to detect when you are having seizures. It is not an animal to detect when you are having pacemaker problems. It is not an animal to, to help you with, with any sort of medical condition, just with your feelings and emotions. I don't see that you really need to bring that animal on the plane. And then to have that animal and to flush it down the drain. This is why this story does not compute to me. This is her emotional support animal. She has a doctor's note that this animal, by the way, uh, according to the news story I'm reading, and maybe they got it wrong, but it's in the Miami Herald, she went out because she was having issues at college with, with a, a health issue. Um, she went out and got herself this hamster. It was not a doctor-prescribed hamster. She went out and got the animal, and then later the doctor designated it, if, if, I, if this Miami Herald story is correct. But even if the doctor prescribed a hamster for emotional support, she, she, she flushed the hamster down the drain to be no doubt eaten by the sewer alligators, unless the rats beat them. She flushed her emotional support animal. And now she wants to sue Spirit Airlines because she flushed her emotional support animal down the drain. I got no sympathy. I, I don't. 
I, I really have a hard time being sympathetic to someone killing her own animal. And she said, well, she tried to rent a car. She couldn't rent a car. She she didn't have anybody to leave the animal with. She, she could have let the animal go. She had to get home. She had a, a, a listen, I understand you, you, you got a, you got a situation. You got to get home. You need to go. But surely there was another way. Surely there was another way than flushing your animal down the drain. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's just me, but I, I got, I don't know. By the way, I, I had no intention of actually spending as much time as I spent on flushing an emotional support hamster down the drain, but this is just ridiculous. It is. Now, let's move on to more substantive things. Let's get back to the phones. Rick in Gainesville, you're up next. Welcome, Rick. Have you flushed your emotional support hamster? <laughs> hey, Eric. I never have had a hamster, but I'd take better care of it than that if I did. Um, just wanted to make a comment. I know you've talked about this before, and it may be beating a dead drum, but you know, unless we and, and until we get term limits on our representatives, be it senators or, or the House of Representatives, we're not going to make any changes, nope. um, substantive changes. And there's some way that I don't know if you have any uh, suggestions about how to get accountability and how to get the term limits. But, you know, this we need to do this 40 years ago. I'll, I'll hang up and listen to your comments. Well, look, Rick, I appreciate it. And I got to tell you, quite honestly, I have never been a huge champion of term limits, largely because I think people can can vote their representatives out of office. Um, what I do favor is a version of term limits that we used to have here in Georgia, actually, and some states still do. Utah is one of them. And that is, I think we should get rid of the primary system. I do. Um, look at what Utah does. In Utah, Utah has a hybrid system that you go to your state convention for your political party and the statewide officers are put to a vote before the delegates at that convention. And if they fail to get 50% of the vote, the top two people do have a primary. They are forced into a primary. And so if you have motivated partisans who are opposed to an incumbent, you can boot them out at the convention of the party activists. So, for example, here in Georgia, let's say you got, you got incumbent X. And incumbent X, you know what, let, let's, let's not even use a hypothetical. Let, let's use Saxby Chambliss. Saxby Chambliss, who campaigned against immigration reform and then went up to Washington and, and when he was in the Senate, uh, moderated his tone, was more supportive of, of immigration reform, and people wound up uh, ready to challenge him and raise money to challenge him in a primary. But the problem, of course, was uh, that he had a huge war chest. Now, ultimately, he, he threw his hands up and retired. But... In a party, it is the activists who tend to be the most engaged. And those who are the most engaged, particularly in Georgia, tend to be the least favorable towards immigration reform. They could have found a challenger to put up against him in a convention setting 
And had he failed to get 50% of the vote, well, then he would be out of office or he would have to run again. If there were three people and those three, two people got more than him, he would be out. That's what happened to, to um, Bennett, uh, Senator Bennett out in Utah. Uh, Mike Lee challenged him in the Utah convention and uh, Bennett came in third behind Mike Lee and one other guy, uh, Bridgewater, I think his name was, I can't remember. And, and so Mike Lee then ran in a primary against someone other than the incumbent senator who was booted out in the convention. Uh, it, it allows party activists to hold them accountable. See, I, I think when you, you have a primary system, people can cross over into your primary, uh, who are from the other party and prop up a candidate of their choice. And they can, in some cases, do it defensively or offensively to ensure to shape the primary field for their own candidate. Uh, Led parties control their nominees. Do you know that this was the system largely used up until uh, the early 1900s when one of the it was one of the bad ideas that came out of Wisconsin from the progressive movement with Robert LaFollette to have primaries instead of conventions and delegations to pick candidates. The average time in Washington has more than quadrupled for the House and Senate since we got rid of doing this convention process. Well, for the House, I should say, not the Senate, which was uh, elected by, since I also think we should go back to having senators elected by the, or nominated and confirmed by their state legislatures and actually represent the states again. Uh, I would much prefer those two changes than actual term limits because, you know, there are some people who do really good. And the good people who really favor small government actually turn out to be rather hard to find. So I would vastly prefer doing something like this and go try to find the limited government guys. And once we get the limited government guys there, keep them there. It's always the limited government guys who self-term limit themselves. I would much rather they stay and the others go. A Senate subcommittee here in Georgia has pushed forward to the floor of the Senate a religious liberty, faith-based adoption agency religious liberty protection measure, the one they stripped from the adoption bill. Um, they're moving it closer to the floor. Most senators on the subcommittee supported the measure, Senate Bill 375, saying the government shouldn't force religious adoption agencies to violate their beliefs. Casey Gagel referenced that in his interview earlier, saying that uh, he would advance the bill. Uh, whether or not the uh, House will go along with it is to be seen. Let's go back to the phones. David, welcome. You're next. Uh, yes, sir. Not only do I think the DNR should not be on the candidate's uh, name, I think that incumbent should not be a designation because I think a lot of people just default and vote for the incumbent with no idea of you know the merits of the, the individual candidate. You know, it's funny you should say that. I believe in Texas now. Uh, you draw, you uh, cast lots to put the order on the ballot, including with the incumbent. So there's there's no guarantee. Uh, that the incumbent will be first on the ballot there. It's not a bad idea. Uh, that's a very good idea. I, I don't know how to fix another voter bias, but uh, if you're alphabetically uh, first on the ballot, uh, you have an advantage over the people lower down on the ballot. I don't know how to fix that. Yeah, yeah again, I, I think that's a that's a casting lot situation where you don't do alphabetical and you don't do incumbent top. You, you do it randomly based on they all pull their name out of a hat, which is what they do over in Texas. You know, it's interesting you say that because there actually is measurable. It is a one and a half to two percent advantage that the person at the top of the ballot tends to get a uh, built in right there. 
uh, people will vote for the first name. Uh, it, it is measurable. It is uh, statistically shown. It transcends state. Uh, and also, uh, the higher on the ballot you are, it, you know where Republicans actually sometimes uh, tend to do better uh, on local races in certain parts of the country. Why? Republicans tend to stick around and complete their ballot more than Democrats. And in fact, a Democratic activists sometimes when they're recruiting people to registering people to vote, they try to push them and, and make them understand they got to stick around for the entire ballot. They got to go all the way down the ballot because there's a real frustration there among Democrats. Sometimes their core activists go vote. They vote in the top races, but not down at the bottom, which is why it takes so long for the trend to happen of taking over states down to the county and, and local level. It's one of the reasons that people knew the wave was real in Georgia back in the day, because you were having Republicans spend no money on lower level races and they start, suddenly started winning when they had never won before. People knew the demographic shift was happening in Georgia and you suddenly saw a mass of Democrats suddenly start converting to the Republican Party. It is interesting, random back to it here at the end as I continue to interview these candidates. And again, I'll get Clay Tippin's info for you here shortly. Um, if we, we if a Republican wins governor this year, it'll be the first time we have a person as governor who has always been a Republican. Both Sonny Perdue and Nathan Deal were originally Democrats and converted. Uh, all of the Republicans now uh, have been lifelong Republicans. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what that actually means for the state. I'm Eric Erickson here on WSB. Thanks for joining us.